Chasing Daylight. John 9, 4, 5, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There is work to be done, and we are chasing daylight. From the series, as I've told you, we've been doing this for a long time, but from the book from Irvin McManus from about 20 years ago, and uh, we've done choices, initiate, initiate, uncertainty, risk, influence last week, but today... We're advancing. Break camp. Advance. Amen? So we read a few weeks ago. I'm going to read the passage for you in just a minute. But we read when Jonathan and his armor bearer were moving over to fight the Philistines. And we'll, again, we're going to read it here in just a minute. But he used the word perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. And it wasn't the fact he was doubting God or anything along that line. But his objective here was that the only way it was going to work was in God's power. That's it. What we're about to take on, if God doesn't show up, we're all in trouble. Or they were in trouble, them too, specifically. But one of the things I want to not muddy the water today, and I, and I, I was telling Allie earlier, I may be stepping off into something that may be more confusing than help for some of you, uh, maybe more controversial for some than others, But Jonathan had this divine impression. He had this inkling. He had this stirring. He had this something that said, I think God's with us on this. Let's go do it. Anybody ever been there? Perhaps something was happening And I think that happens to all of us to some degree, that we have this impression. Sometimes we think, well, I think the Lord said, I, you know, I, I, and, and often I've had, and where it gets a little complicated was, uh, for some of us, is that people in many circles will walk up and just put their, grab your hand and go, God told me to tell you this. I'm not arguing with that. All I'm saying is it gets complicated real quick right there. It's not the way I normally do it. It may be your way. That's fine. It's not the way we normally do it here at Renovation Church, but I know a lot of churches who do that and and encourage that. And I'm not going to tell you that it's wrong. What I will say to you is it's tricky. It's tricky. Acts 15, Acts 15, 28, one of the biggest decisions in the early church and it, was, it had to do with the Gentiles and what they were going to have to do, but uh, whether or not they're going to have to be circumcised and all the other things that went with it. And, some other, and, 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 and the Jewish council, or the Jerusalem council, just came back and said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And they list those requirements. It seemed, perhaps, sometimes that's all you got, right? Well, we left Jonathan and his armor bearer out of the whole army. Remind, remind you, there were two swords left. Everything else was, was uh, uh, farming tools that the rest of the guys had. And so the two swords were Saul and Jonathan had those two, and they were going to go into battle. And one of the things that I think that, that often we see stories like this in Scripture, and we go, that just seems irrational.
Then we read the rest of this. And we see Moses. We see John the Baptist. We see Peter and Paul. We see Noah and Elijah. The song we've been singing recently, Build an Altar. Irrational. He built an altar, drench it in water, set it on fire, and stand back and watch. Irrational. Scripture is full of irrational people. The history of Christianity has been full of what we would call irrational decisions. Unless God's in it. That's where Jonathan is. I want to read this, and then we'll launch back into it. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of the uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. I am all in with you. Hard to find those people, isn't it? I'm in. I'm in. Jonathan said, come on. Then we'll cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will wait, we will stay where we are and not go to them. But if they say, come to us, we will climb because that will be our sign that the Lord, that will be our sign, that will be our sign that God will impress on us. He's given me this thought that if that's what he does, this is what we read into it. Another impression of what God is doing. We will climb up because it will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes that they were hiding in, and they were hiding, by the way. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us, and we will teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb after me. The Lord has given them into our hands. This divine impression, this divine revelation, this thing that we want to go, where we believe that God now has spoken this, and I can act on it. Irrational. Here you've got this defeated, depressed, hiding in caves, while one thing, the villages around them are being destroyed because they're hiding. There's things at stake, people's lives are at stake, and the people who could help them are hiding. But the Bible just says that Jonathan one day says, let's go look for the Lord. Let's go. We got to go. As I said a few weeks ago, Jonathan wasn't choosing, he wasn't suicidal. What he was choosing was, he wasn't choosing how he was going to die. He was, going to choose, he was choosing how he was going to live. He was deciding that day, I'm no longer going to live like that. That, what we're doing, is unacceptable. God's not in the cave. God's not with me hiding. Now, I don't mean that you go, God's everywhere. Okay, maybe I'm theologically off base on some of that, right? 
But the power of God to make a difference is not there in the sense that God is not going to be with you necessarily in the cave long enough for you to just stay there and be comfortable and just let everything else be destroyed around you. He's going to push you out of that cave because where he wants, where he is is on the mountain. He's over there on that mountain. That's where he's acting. That's where he's moving. I'm not moving in the cave hiding. I'm moving on the mountain and going to war. I've said this often about mission versus a class, right? If we get to the end of this whole thing and all we're trying to get is a A or a B or maybe a C, so I just get in. Some of you did your classes through school. Just I just want to get by. But as long as I get a C at the end of this thing and God is able to look at me, well done, good and faithful servant, C, you're okay with that. But if this is not a classroom situation, but this is a mission it changes everything. That if I got up every day and I'm on a mission to follow after what God's calling me to do, it changes everything. It's not just trying to get a passing grade. Not just trying to find the line where I can get up close to it, you know, and, and if I want to be away from God, or I can get close enough to the line of doing the will of God, it feels really good. It feels like, okay, I'm, I'm a little more stretched than those people who were behind me here that were sitting in the pews next to me. I'm doing a little more. Or each one of us each day. We have a calling. Not a class. It's a mission. But when God impresses on us what that's supposed to be, it's like that. I think you've, many of you heard me say this before. It's kind of like the old country preacher going and knocking on the old farmer's door, right? He knocks on the door. Old farmer opens the door, preacher's standing there. Preacher says to him, sir, uh, the Lord impressed on me to come and talk to you about Jesus. And he goes, I've heard that all my life that God spoke to you or impressed on you. He said, was it out loud? And he goes, no, it was louder than that. And that's so much of what we know sometimes that there's this stirring, there's this something, there's an impression on us. And Jonathan, I believe it was more than just being a loud voice, but he knew the character of God. And when God begins to advance, it's one of the hardest things I think for all of us is that finding people who will go with us. Because you know when you're advancing, you can't be retreating at the same time. You can't be hiding at the same time. And one of the biggest challenges today, I think, of preaching this specific message is that the Lord's probably stirring some things in many of your hearts. And when a pastor preaches a message about when it's time to go, let's go, you got to go. I don't know where all that lands in your life and what God's speaking to each one of you. Because one of the things you go, well, if God speaks to me, it's probably going to be easy. Well, I don't see in Scripture where any of them said, well, that's going to be easy. What I see in Scripture is that people begin to try to walk faithfully in what God's called them to do. And I realize when you get God begins to lay something on your heart and begins to impress whatever the right word is, you should seek God's word. 
But God's word doesn't always tell you. And you should seek his character. And you, could, you should pray. But it doesn't always give you the name of the person you're supposed to marry. Right? He says, I don't find it in here. I don't see Jan in the sense in this scripture. <laughs> but I pray. Of course, maybe I didn't pray then. The Lord, I was just lucky. Okay, back up a second. <laughs> I was just lucky. I was just lucky. Fortunately, I had a grandmother and a mom praying for me. I was just lucky. Because I wasn't praying. But I don't see her name in here in that sense. So there's a point you take that step. I believe, I, I, I sense, I, I feel like, I believe God has put this together. I, you start listing off all these things. But you don't always get a clear letter in the mail or writing in the sky or in Scripture. Exactly. What he's put in front of you. I believe there are times you're supposed to pause and wait. And I mean, I think I've done that often in my career where I was just in waiting. I didn't really know what God was doing. I honestly, I've asked him over, what, what are you doing? But what I tried to do was be faithful right where I was. Not because he had not moved me at that point. I just tried to be faithful where he had put me. But I knew he was doing something. There was something stirring, but he wasn't giving me any details. So I continued to try to be faithful where I was. I remember when we moved to Arizona 26 years ago, trying to figure out, okay, I'm, I'm making a life-altering move for my, not only for Jan and I, but for our kids, and hopefully for the people we will minister to when we get to Arizona or wherever it is, and begin to pray and, be, and to ask the Lord, and we had opportunities. And, and many of you know this, the year before we moved to Arizona, we got offered the same job. 12 months before, when we were in Texarkana, Pastor Mark Fuller had called me and asked me, would we consider being youth pastor at Crossroads Nazarene Church? And we declined it. Then the next year, he calls again. 12 months later. One year it was a no. One year it's a yes. It's the same question. So what happened in between? Well, I don't have time to go into all of what happened in between, but it was significant. One of them was, and I was sharing this with our board and, and exec staff yesterday, was that when I was a youth pastor in Texarkana, I had believed that up to that point, the Lord was saying to me, this youth group needs a new youth pastor. That's really what kept going. Lord impressed on me. I'm trying to be careful here. I'm not saying he just told me, but that's what was impressed on me. This group of young people need a new youth pastor. So I went and began to pray, and I began to fast, and I began to, and you know, you know I'm an enthusiast on the, on the uh, sacred pathway, so I'd listen to worship music, and I was in this building that we were buying, and I was just praying, and it was in the middle of August, and I'm sweating down. I'm going, Lord, I hope your answer's quick, because, man, I am melting down in this building, but I'm not leaving this building until I know an answer from you. And again, that's a dangerous thing when you tell the Lord that, but fortunately, he came through, okay, before it. And what I mean by that is this. It was impressed on me. <laughs> yeah, they need a new youth pastor, and it's you. It's time for you to grow. Well, that next year, the Lord did that in me. Then I was ready. The only way I know to say it is to move to Arizona. I didn't know if I'd ever get another chance to move from Texarkana. Who knows, right? I sure didn't say, hey, call me back in a year. I sure didn't say that. 
But we get that, and, and when we moved to Arizona, sure we had, I say sure, I don't know why I said it, that we had people having dreams and scriptures, and there were visions about us moving to Arizona. There was all kinds of different things. And we get, when I talk to people who were directly affected by the decision we were about potentially going to make, and those indirectly affected by it. But there was a point where I had to go away for the, with the Lord, I felt like, and just pray and fast and ask for clearance, and Lord, I, all I know is back to what Jonathan said, perhaps this is what we're supposed to do. All the other things added together were great, but not one of them or two of them or three of them was going to make that decision. I had to believe that the Lord was laying it on our hearts. And of course, obviously, here we are today. But when the Lord begins to impress on you something, especially something significant. I, yeah, there's times there's, I shouldn't say smaller things. Hey, I, I maybe you should read this book. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm not saying the Lord didn't show you. I'm talking about life-altering things here. Huge, trajectory-changing, game-changers, we would call them. One of them is, is leaning on your intentional values. We talked to you about it in Uncommon this morning. These values that you have in your life help direct you. They actually make it pretty easy sometimes to make a decision because you can say, that doesn't fit where I'm going. One of the things I would encourage you, if it would help you on this advancement part of this as you're looking for the Lord to show you, is go, one is to have a direction in your life. That is one of the hardest things. Some people are just meandering here and there if we're not careful. I've said before, often we plan more to go on our next vacation than we do our actual life. Andy Stanley's principle of the path that we use so many times here, and and it's this, because a lot of times in intentional values is, I may not always live out what I profess, but I'll always live out what I value, right? That's Jesus' words. You know where my heart is? My treasure is where my, my heart, my treasure are together. There's no way to separate those. So again, I may not live out what I profess, but I will always live out what I treasure. I'll always live out what I value. Whether I have them stated or not, or they're actually different than what I've got stated. That's the reason why you need to know where you're headed. Like Andy Stanley says in Principle of the Pathway, if this right here is following after the uh, full-throated after the heart of God, you can't keep walking that way. You've got to ask yourself the question, am I really chasing after him? Because I don't believe that Jonathan is even asking, God, what's your will for my life? I think he was asking, God, what is your will for the world, and I will commit my life to that. What are you wanting to do in the world What do you want to do with those people? What do you want to do right there? And I'll commit myself to that. I love what Henry Blackaby talks about and experiencing God. He said, so often, you know, he said, so often you can't go with God and stay where you are. You can't. And his other part of that is, look where God is working and what? Join him. Where is God working? Do you spend your days getting up looking and going, man, if I want to move forward with God, I want to advance. Where is he working right now? And I want to join him there. 
But most of our prayers are, God, look what I'm doing. Will you bless it? And I think it's, I think at McManus, I think we may have it up there. He's, you know, he talks about the fact that uh, the, the, I don't know if you've got it up there or not, but he says, a quick survey of the modern church would lead us to believe that Christ's invitations were to come and to listen instead of go. And you've heard this corny thing before. You know what the Greek word for go is? Go. It's never going to change. We are to be advancing. We are to be moving forward. Because there's a big difference back to the whole missions thing. There's a big difference than going on mission trips and people who are on a mission. See, people who are on a mission are just looking for an address and geography. That's all they're worried about. But if you want to go on a mission trip, and I'm all for those, I've done a bunch of them. And there's reasons why I still believe in those. But that does not substitute, and one of the things I've been concerned about in our church in America is we've actually substituted that. That you're waiting for us to create your mission. I mean, the reality is, God, you have your own. That's the reason why we do Uncommon, or you're engaged and influential. You're already on a mission. And all we need to be, one of the things we need to be doing is helping you put that, put that information together of how you live that out. You're called to advance every day, some significant, some big things, like for us moving to Arizona without any, knowing anybody or anything else, just picked up our crew and we moved. Jesus was worried about it. In Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, you know, I got a whole sermon around this. When he saw, saw the crowds, he didn't just see the crowds, he saw the crowds. Saw them for who they were. He had compassion on them. So he went, he saw, so he had to go. Then he saw with the eyes that we've talked about before, the eyes of Christ in our lives, uncommon, we talk about it often. For the world you're in, what if if Christ began to see the world that you see every day, you begin to see it through his eyes. But Jesus saw and he had compassion on them. But then this is the part I want you to catch, though. That's a whole different sermon, so I'll just take that out of the deal. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus was concerned even when he was on earth that the church wouldn't advance and be everything it was called to be. Because you would have thought You would have thought that he would have said the last thing he was worried about was his disciples and the future church doing what they, they see the needs, right? There they are, right there in front of them. And, the, and he should have said, hey, pray for these needs. See all the needs around? Pray for those people. No, he says, pray for the church. The church is the issue. David Platt says in his book, Radical, he said, I would have expected Jesus to say, 
You guys see the need, the harvest is plentiful, so pray for these people who are harassed and helpless. Pray for them. But that wasn't what he said. Jesus didn't say pray for those who are lost. Instead, he told the disciples to pray for the church. Why do you think Jesus would look at the crowds around him with all their deep needs and then turn to the disciples and tell them to pray for themselves? The answer is humbling. When Jesus looked at the harassed and helpless multitudes, apparently his concern was not that the lost world would come to the Father. Instead, he was concerned that the followers would not go to the lost. Divine impressions. Asking the Lord, Lord, let me see my world the way you see it. Show me what you see every day. Sometimes those impressions come by just volunteering and putting yourself in a position that, hey, Lord, I didn't even know that was in me until I exposed myself to that ministry and to that need. But I believe that's within your word to reach out to the widow or the orphan, to reach out to you know, those in prison, to reach out to those who are hungry. I'm just going to do that because I see it in your word. And who knows, somewhere along the way, the Lord may just get a hold of your heart. When I was asked in 1990, when my friend asked me, hey, will you help me come back here and corral these teenagers? And I... My big deal was I didn't want to go to Wednesday night Bible study because I thought it was boring. I was, you know, I just did. I thought, okay, I don't want to do that. So I didn't do that. And I thought, all right, I'm going to stay at home. And he goes, well, come back here and help me corral these 20 or so teens. I realize often so many of us want to plan. Sometimes you just need to volunteer. The plan comes way later. If I'd have planned out all the things I was going to do in ministry, I had all the plan right first, I don't know if I'd have done anything. Even discipling, I mean, I've told you, we talked about many weeks ago, talking about I had to take my discipling, my discipleship for myself in my own hand because it wasn't in place anywhere else. If I waited for somebody else, we'd have been in trouble. I'd have been in trouble. Waiting for the church to do it often is not the answer. Matter of fact, it's often the thing that gets in the way. We don't have enough staff members to do all the things and create all the ministries you're called to do, just so you know. We will never have enough money or staff to do everything and go everywhere you're supposed to go. It's just not going to happen. And if you can, you can bring in 20 pastors and run them right through here, they're not called to do that. And, and it's partly our issue in the church is we've created that environment. And I apologize to you as a leader over the last 32 years that we've done that to you. That is not our role we're to help equip you equip the saints what in the world have we done to ourselves come and listen that's the goal few other ways that I think help you when you feel like God is impressing things on you. God is stirring you, especially big things. One of them is lean on your spiritual markers. 
We talk about it in Game Changer. That's one reason I push you, push you so hard to write down your spiritual markers because I'm telling you, they may be the very answer when you are struggling, you're in dry land that keeps you going forward. It may be that very thing. We see it, the patriarchs, we see it in Scripture where they built those altars, they built those places to say that there's where it happened. It happened right there. If God can do it then, he can do it again. And as much as I am in, in, in no man's land right now, as much as I am in a time of, of dry and weary and all the things that go to it, I go to that marker and I go, God has, he can, he will. I am going to keep walking forward. Now, there are memories that you need to kick out of your head because they control you and mess you up and make you dysfunctional. But there are certain memories and the scripture talks about remembering. It, it brings you to a point. Go, oh, man, God can. Because he has. And it may inform your future. I don't know if we have the, do we have the slides from yesterday? Yesterday I went out to uh, Usury Park, Usury Regional Park, it's my, I've been there 12, 12 years in a row. From February 17th, I don't think I've missed a February 17th in 12 years of going there. It's my holy ground. That and Sheep's Den in, in Wicks, Arkansas, on the Costa River. But I climbed that yesterday, I've climbed it 12 years in a row. Because February 17th, 2012 was one of the darkest days of my soul. You've heard me talk about it. I won't get into the details of that. But I went there yesterday, and two things that I did, I read the first chapter of Renovation of the Heart, which I did then and have done for 12 years, Kingdom Possibilities. And listen to King of Glory, third day version. Because that's what I did 12 years ago. My good friend Ed's here today because he gave me that book 12 years ago in a couple of months. But I didn't open it up till that day, that first chapter. That streams of living water should be rushing from my soul to a thirsty world. That's who we're called to be. We're to be an example. As I stood there on top of that mountain, listened to my music. Again, most of you know in my sacred path, I'm an enthusiast and I'm a naturalist. So those are my two places. That's what I go to. Lord, do it again. Do it again. And I've shared with you a little bit over these last six months. It's been a really hard six months for me personally, and I don't talk about it a lot here, but kind of a little bit of no man's land. You've done it. I know it. You will do it again. You will do it again. You know the second part that's hardest about advancing is the things you got to leave behind. Or just torch the things I don't want. (laughs) 
Boy, how do he doesn't work that way, does he? I've shared this often over the last few weeks. I had a good, great friend of mine who's in his 40s ask me, he said, Kurt, I thought I'd be further along than this. I thought I'd be doing this, this, and this. He said, well, what do you think's going on? I said, well, the thing I'm learning right now is, I said, I, I can't speak for you, but what I am learning right now is, is that if everything's not in the middle of the table, all my plans, all my everything, if it's not in the middle of the table, there's not a place, there's not an age where I get to take it back. Uh, there's not an age. My retirement, what that, that's not mine. It all gets put back on the altar. It all gets pushed in the middle. And I hope the lesson I'm learning is it's going to happen at 64, and it's going to happen at 66, and it's going to happen at 96, whatever that is. I hope I learned a lesson going, keep putting it in the middle of the table, man. I am not limiting you. Put it in the middle of the table because when I take it back, I limit him. Not only myself and everybody that comes in contact with me because I'm not living into the potential that God has for me when I take it back. Whatever portion. You go, well, I just want to take that part back. No, no, that is not how that works. It's ground zero planning, as Dallas Willard said, everything's in the middle of the table. I love what T.D. Jake says. He said, the problem is not where you want to go. We almost all have a picture of a better future, a desired future for ourselves, family, and culture. That is not the problem. The problem is what we're not willing to let go of in order for us to get there. That's the issue. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Oh, you're Nazarenes. You can quote it with me. Come on now. now. May God himself, the God of peace, because the thing is, I'm glad he puts the God of peace in this scripture because what he's about to say is not very peaceful. That he'll sanctify you through and through. Hold spirit, soul, and body. Have you ever heard that in the two great commandments? Everything about you? Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. You know what the word sanctify, yeah, it means to be set apart. But literally what it means is purging. It means to let go of. It means I've got to let go. So that means at 64, I'm still being sanctified. I know you're shocked by that. Oh, I thought you got that back in 1989, Kurt. I did. But I'm not living on that 1989's fresh wind, fresh fire. I need to be living on... February 18th, 2024, fresh wind, fresh fire. That's what I need to be living on. We filled our churches across America, and I'd say Nazarene also, that somehow or another we've made that a point, that it was one time somewhere you got it. If you're not doing it every day, Paul says, I die daily. I'm crucified with Christ. That's the bad part about this peaceful thing that's not, you know, the big issue there is I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. You really don't even have an identity. People are trying to be, find their identity. Well, matter of fact, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's my identity. And the problem with the altars, Josiah, I think, says that the living sacrifice, like I told some of our folks last week, talking about sanctification and uncommon. You may not ever be called to give up your life for someone else 
like our brothers and sisters around the world. Physically give up your life. But what I can guarantee you is you'll be called to be a living sacrifice. I can guarantee you that. And you can do with it what you wish. But I can guarantee you that. One is a one-time event where I step in front of a bullet, which is a huge cost. Another one is I get up every day and try to live it out in front of Jan. Or my kids. Or you as a church. That's a life. That's not a one-time event. That's a life. The last one is, and we'll get out of here. To advance, often God disturbs us that where we are is unacceptable. It's just unacceptable. And I want to differentiate that between where Jonathan is. Jonathan gets it. Hiding in the cave is unacceptable. The only way we can take the battle, and I'm willing to take risk, perhaps he's with us. And I'll just confess to you, there are times I've done the perhaps that God is with us and I was wrong. Or at least it seems wrong. But you know what? I'd rather take advances with God and be wrong than sit somewhere in a cave and think I'm right. But Jonathan knew where they were was unacceptable. But here's the tricky part for us. I'm not using that word tricky a lot today, I know, but is that we would probably say, I'm not hiding. But you may be comfortable. You may not be hiding in the sense of Jonathan's talking about going, God's not here, he's on the mountain. You don't realize that because of your comfort, you are hiding. And God comes to disturb us. Disrupt us. Poem I heard years ago, Sir Francis Drake. Josiah, you guys come on up. I'm worthy of it all, if you don't mind, as we close this morning. This is poem that I, not sure I like reading it or not, but it, 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 I think it'll make sense. Disturb us, O Lord, when you're too well pleased, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little. When we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. I love that picture. Disturb us, Lord, when the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Have fallen in love with life. We've ceased to dream of eternity and our efforts to build a new earth. We've allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, O Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas, when storms will show your mastery, when losing sight of land and all the safety it brings, 
You see the stars. Disturb us, O Lord. Disturb us. Is God disturbing you right now? Those impressions, those divine impressions, you keep trying to maybe just figure out a way to excuse it, press it down. You know, look at First Romans 1 where it talks about they suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. And I, I think of that going, you have, to, you have to make effort to do that. They suppressed the truth. The truth was wanting to bubble up like the river of life, but they suppressed it. Man, I want to do life with people who decide they ain't going to hold it down anymore. I'll minister to anyone, but I'm going to tell you who I'm going to do life life with is the people who have a direction in their life going, we ain't doing that no more. Wherever you're going, Lord, whatever you're bubbling up, whatever you're trying to accomplish, whatever you're doing, that's who I want to hang out with. We fill churches in America, again, come and listen. Set in circles and listen. Whatever it is, but it's, I would rather just go with a bunch of people who are going and we'll figure it out on the way. In our going, we'll figure this out. And it's going to be messy. But aren't all renovations messy? Man, he loves us. You know why I preach the way I do? If you figure it out, let me know. (laughs) But one reason I will tell you I do is because I love you. Why not I preach a holiness message? Because of the radical optimism that there is no ceiling on what God can do when someone turns their life over to Him. Really does. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with me? If you're able, I know. Advance. Chasing daylight. Told somebody the other day, I said, when you're, when you're in your 40s, you can kind of dilly-dally around on some things. Go, ah, yeah, I'll get to that. Or I'll do. When you're 64, you're going, okay, this runway's a little shorter. Okay, it's a little shorter. We got things to do. While it is still light, Jesus said, let that light shine. As Josiah and him lead us, and I hope this is why, because when I preach, it's not for manipulation. It is for persuasion. I will admit that, that you would believe that what he has for you is true. If you were a group of people who were just advancing with the impressions of God, the stories that would be told. So as we 
But Josiah and him lead us. He's worthy of it all. And that's really why we do this, because he is. It might be like those teenagers in Southern California that two hours later, the roof is still being lifted off the place. Because it was true the first time they sang it, it's true it was the last time they sang it. That he is worthy of it all. Worthy to give your all to that. Let me pray for us. Lord, we pray right now in this room for your unction, your impression. Lord, I don't know how all that works. And Lord, I'm not going to try to decide that for each person in this room. But what I will say today, Lord, you're at work. And you're stirring in people's heart. The heart's beating a little faster than it normally would, maybe, Lord. I don't know. There's something that come across their mind that says, man, that's maybe more than just bad food. This is really something you're laying on my mind and heart. Lord, I'm just going to take a step. I'll ask for the plan later. I'm just going to go. Irrational people. And they really would be irrational without you in it. So help us, Lord, be the people that don't just come and listen, but we go for your glory. Lord, help us now as we spend this few minutes in this room, around the altars potentially, but praising you for all that you've done in our life. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come if you feel led.